Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. On today's show, we pull back the curtain on If I Knew Then, What I Knew Now, and much, much more. Stay tuned. Hey, Prez, get us going. Man, Jay, man, what's, what's, what's recent with you, man? I know last time on the show, you, you told the audience that you was going to be pulling back up in NY, man. So did, did you make that move? Had to, man. You know, I'm a man of my word. So as soon as <laughs> in our audience is, I had to follow through. But nah, man, I, um, I slid to New York for like a little less than 72 hours, you know, a cool little three-day trip flipped around and got to see a lot of people that I love from school and celebrated like literally one of my best friends. She's like my big sister. Um, and yeah, it was great, man. I had a great time. It was in Brooklyn for most of the time. Had yes, Brooklyn Woodlands, which was, you know, they reopened it, I think, a little less than a year ago. Really dope environment. And the food was bussing, bro. I swear. I thought New York was really couldn't. I thought they didn't have it for real, for real. But Woodlands gave me a different uh, perspective. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm not even going to hold you. I used to think that the way about Brooklyn, too. And it took one little spot for me to to change my little viewpoint, man. So, you know, you, you're right about that, bro. And I'm glad you had a good time. And I really love knowing, like, at your age, man, that you're still out here, you know, traveling and, and, and moving around, man. It's, I feel like so many in your generation, man, I feel like they're stagnant. You know, they're not getting around and not getting new experiences. Um, I do a mentoring workshop with some, some cats, that are, you know, post-college grads, like in the ages of like 23 to 29. And it's kind of a weird, it's a weird dynamic, man, because a lot of these kids, man, just they don't know what the hell they're doing right now, man. It's like they they knew, okay, my life was kind of determined for me. My folks told me, go to this school, go to that school. Now I graduated with this degree. I'm working. Well, now what's up? What else, right? And this is like, man, man, y'all cats got to live. And so I, I really love the fact, man, that you be out here making moves, Jay. No, I appreciate that, man. I definitely be living. And I I, I feel the same um, hurdles that the dudes you mentor feel in the what now, specifically, like, feel like at this point in life, you know, I've been, I, I'm, I'm starting to shift and create my own viewpoints that were formerly, like, talk to me or just pass down to me. You know what I'm saying? It's shifting through and figuring out what it is I do believe in, what I don't believe in from that. Um, and I, it, could, it could be a trying time for anybody. You got Everybody got to know themselves, man. And then from mm-hmm. that, I kind of pivot through and just figure out the the path that's best for you. But yeah, man, I can't, I got a problem with sitting still. Anybody that knows me says I can't sit still for nothing. You I'm don't. Exactly <laughs> anything, I, I do move around a lot. I do be on the go. What did I tell you the last time I saw you? I said, you move around more than me. Me man, I didn't even know that was possible. (laughs) (laughs) You gone, (laughs) but yeah, nah, definitely. Um, and and to your point, I think it's a large spectrum too, Fresh, because I know that the the digital nomad era is really prevalent right now. Um, you utilize. I know a lot of people my age utilize it, and I kind of want to go see what the uh, international wave looks like. I got to go get over to London. Got to get over to Bali. Check out their scenes, just because I hear like. It's a whole different world. And I, I want to check out uh, Panama, too. I got this uh, woman that I followed on social media that does, like, real estate. 
here in Chicago, but she only does it, I think, April through August. And then, you know, the other what, six, seven months out the year, she she's posted up in Panama. She's she's five, six years older than me. So anything is possible, man. I'm a firm believer in that. Just got to go get it. And I mean, that's the thing that I say about this platform and the other platforms that I built, Jay, is when I looked around at other cats doing it, I'm like, what's the difference between them and me? And, and a lot of times I'm like, nothing. It's just they went out there and did it. And I think that's the attitude that I try to instill a lot of people that come to me, right? Because people look at the platforms now, they're like, man, y'all have built this platform up. And I'm like, oh, it didn't grow by itself. <laughs> you know, a lot of cats have ideas, Jay. You probably surrounded by so many bright people, man, from when you went to college, cats that you came up with. But the thing is, is that they're not putting those ideas into any sort of tangible work. And yes. that's the part where I tell people, you got to do that. You got to do it. even even if it doesn't work. Right. Because so many people have started businesses. You know that <laughs> small business, they fail. But guess what? Sometimes, man, it, it takes doing it a second, a third or fourth time and learning the mistakes from the previous you know, times. Right. Until you get it right. Hey man, you talking to a to a owner of a failed small business? You know, my first year post grad was spent in L.A. Um, building mm -hmm. a talent agency and doing it in an unconventional way, and you know, just going through the ebbs and the flows of shit, knowing how to forecast the business's revenue to last more than six months. You know what I'm saying? Doing sure. little things that give you sustainability. <laughs> To the point that you're saying that, like, even if it doesn't work out the way you plan it, it doesn't mean that there's not something that's taken from it and that's right. take anything from any situation for real, for real. No, nah, man. And, and that's the thing, too. And I love the fact that you brought that story up, man, because everybody, Jay, points to the things that blow up. But not enough of us talk about the things that don't work out, man. And I, I think there's so much to learn from that. We always hear the, 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 the expressions, uh, what, what, what did uh, Gretzky say? You, you miss what? 100 percent of the shots that you don't take. Don't take, you know. Like it, and what I'm learning, prayers from even just my trading journey, um, because trading is, it's really a civilized form of gambling, right? And your, your whole setup or your whole maintenance to trade is really based on the system you have in place for your risk reward, your, your win loss ratio, because like you could realistically lose more trades volume wise mm. than you win. But as long as you're taking in more money through the wins, you'll basically balance out on a, on a profit side. So is it, you can, you can really miss more than you hit and still end up winning. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not one dimensional in any, in any way. Hey man, my time as a trader was all winning, um, winning within the margins, bro. <laughs> That's the game. Sweet it out. So Jay, as you know, man, I spent some time last week in Mobile, Alabama, covering the uh, Reese Senior Bowl, but also got a chance to slide down and slide through uh New Orleans. So front end, back end, something pre and kind of like starting to get into the midst of Mardi Gras, man. So, bro, you know I love New Orleans. The food, the culture, man, the people. You just catch so many people just dipping in and out of town, man. It, it, to me, it's such a mix of people that are there. You get the people with that. When they, you talk to them, Jay, they just sound like they eat gumbo, right? Just got that, that, <laughs> ooh, that deep French creole. Hey, brother, man, brother, man, you already yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's funny. 
And and they call everybody their friend. That's how I know you from New Orleans. When you say, like, what's up, friend? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you from here. Yeah. You from here. But then you get the mix of the people that's popping in and out of town, man, for whatever reason, bro. So it's just like a perfect storm. And I'm not even talking about that Bourbon Street French Quarter shit, man, because that's what it is. Well, that's whatever. But, man, there's so much to New Orleans, man, besides, you know, those neighborhoods that people frequently talk about, man. So, But I, I spent a lot of time on, uh, on Frenchman Street that doesn't get talked about a lot. Had some great time over there listening to some great live music. And I had some of the best oysters, bro, at Desire Oyster House. I told the owner I was going to shout them out. Man, best char grilled oysters I've had in my life. Yeah. Hey, you just saved some young woman's life, Fred. You know, the, the oyster phase is going crazy right now. So <laughs> traveling down there, should definitely check them out. Yes, sir. Well, man, listen, on this show, we got a lot to unpack audience. You guys have been throwing a lot of topics at us as usual. We're going to try our best to get through uh, a lot of these things. But, you know, with anything, you know, we do our best. And, you know, say we ask for forgiveness later. But top of business, Jay, Tony Snell. Now, all Chicago, Chicago Bulls fans remember this guy when he got drafted by the Bulls. I mean, Jay, people always had their opinions about his demeanor, how stoic he was. Maybe his game wasn't as... <laughs> As fruitful as you wanted from a first-round draft pick. However, his current situation goes a little bit beyond basketball, man. This guy's sitting at nine years of NBA service time, and we find out, man, that he's, like, trying to get lifetime insurance coverage for his two children that suffer from autism. And so it brings up a really interesting conversation, Jay, about how these pro teams and these pro leagues handle players and, you know, their benefits. Not for sure, Prez. And this is a... It's an interesting situation from a couple of sides to me. Um, one, we we can't mention this situation and not also mention the health fraud or the healthcare fraud that was going on in the NBA where uh-huh. you know, a couple of guys did some time. Um, I think Sebastian Telfair was one of the big names that I remember out of that whole scandal where you know they were scamming the league for, I guess – close to half a million to a million dollars over their benefits package. Yeah, so, big Glenn, Glenn Big Baby Davis. Was you know, a, was a bunch of them. Yeah, so I do think that the um, there's a, a, a very um, a dry nature or dry energy probably circulating around the league when it comes to just health benefits in general. Um, the second side I want to look at is also the, the for-profit business that the NBA is that we – just kind of always skip over, I think, as fans because the NFL is so egregiously in our face of a, uh, I don't know the the they they are they are the the entire they have a very vertically integrated business where you know they they control the networks they control the players they control the owners like the NFL has their hands in everything, the NBA they do a good job of. Um, marketing you know the the negotiations that they have with the players associations we've actually sat through actual nba lockouts where there weren't terms being agreed to upon with uh the players association and the owners um we've seen owners actually ousted in the whole donald sterling situation which was really interesting i was watching this interview between uh david rubenstein and bob johnson bob johnson being uh the dude who started BET for those who don't know audience and then went on to buy the Charlotte, what was Bobcats then. Um, And he talked about how 
NBA valuation skyrocketed because of the severance package that was dealt out to Donald Sterling as he was pushed out from ownership. Like he was pushed out from ownership, but then I think his severance was around two billion. So you're yep. you're valuing league teams at that point at close to at that level, if not higher. And we we don't always give credit to that these teams are in it to make money and to win. And at the end of the day, nobody, in my opinion, genuinely cares enough about Tony Stell, especially when you look at his career and how many teams he bounced around with. I don't know where he if I, if I could think of one team, I would say maybe Milwaukee is a team that I would think that he had kind of a a longer stint of a home with. But um, yeah, he was decent for them. Yeah, yeah, he did. And like you said, he for the Bulls, he didn't give us what we would have wanted out of a first round pick. But I remember that wasn't his fault, in my no. opinion, because he no, should have. It was a bad pick. You know, it was a horrible. <laughs> pick. And so, yeah, man, I um. I, I don't know. It, it, it's really, really tough. And it, it, it's it's super sad to hear, especially when you do have a family who could benefit from uh, the benefits of the health care that he's looking for. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anybody really cares too much, Perez. And that, that's a, it's a very yeah, dry well, way to look at it. But probably, yeah. you keeping it 100% funky, man. There's been a lot of talk about the fact of how much money he made in his career. And I'm glad you didn't bring up that talk track. That's tired. Uh, there's so many people in this world to make money. That don't mean that people don't deserve access to healthcare and, and whatever benefits are due to them. So I think that's a lazy narrative. Especially but, people that are working nine to fives whose healthcare is just passed on to them. Like when he's not, you don't even know how expensive healthcare is. Exactly. Even, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not to cut you off. That's, that's no, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right. Exactly. Um, but I was going to say for me, looking at it, he's toiling in the G League right now. So this is a guy that obviously still wants to play. So I'm not looking at it as a standpoint of, of doing a guy solid, doing him a favor. I just feel like if all these teams are watching you play in the G League and no one's trying to call and bring you up, that might be time for you to just hang it up, man. Maybe go over to Europe, stack of cheese, stack of chips. So that way you don't even have to worry about the, the premiums over here and you'll have money on hand to deal with whatever comes up with your kids. Because you know how it is, Jay. These former NBA players can still go over there and command half salaries over in Europe. So get out of that G League, fuck the NBA, and go get your paper. Especially at his frame. What is he, 6'7"? He, yeah, 6'7". Mm -hmm. Dominate overseas. He can literally go anywhere. and to, You're making a great point. Continue to make a living and provide so that – and that's a – hey, man, when you're you, – you got to – you you eat what you kill when you're a hunter. You know what I'm saying? And that is the life of a professional athlete. It's not guaranteed. There's no real, you know, fallback for a lot of people that put their all into it. And it is all chips in. So continue to trust in yourself, you know, take care of your body and, you know, put food on the table for your family. And food is healthcare. And I would implore people to stop counting other people's money because I guarantee you, man, uh, that that's the worst way in life to live, man. I, I I do not pay attention to what somebody else is putting in their own pockets, only below what I'm putting in mine. So that's a lazy narrative. And I just feel like it kind of sounds like a little bit of hate. I know that's a term, Jay, that people use a little bit too loosely in this day and age because I always tell people it ain't hating if you tell them the truth. But I feel like there is a little bit of hate out here, man, when it comes to money and people are always so quick to say, 
oh, this person squandered their money, fuck them. I'm like, well, damn, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> something with your money. To tell anybody what they should or shouldn't be doing with their money is crazy because you don't know their situation at all. You don't know. You don't know what the family background was. You, you never know. And I'm not going to get into all the different scenarios, but listen, I know the type of family background that I come from. And if I would have ever made it into some sort of a millionaire, there's a number of people that I would have made sure that they would have had a little something. And when I retired, maybe with what I should have, probably not. But I would have looked in the mirror and been happy with what I would have been able to do for others. And so you just never know what people, you know, have on their plate or just even the responsibilities that they have within their family unit. Hey, uh, Prez, I know I'm on that short list and you still over here breathing, brother. So I'm, I'm <laughs> counting on that million, man. I ain't, <laughs> I ain't done and you still rocking out. So don't I ain't counting you out yet. We, we still... We still waiting. <laughs> and he, and listen, and he already know he on that short list because he over here on the show. So listen to that, man. He and he's smart. You know what I'm saying? Because he's like he he gonna get it both ways. <laughs> you, know, you know, get in where you fit in. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, man. Hey, let's get into some of these listener letters, man. Before we rock out some more, for sure. Let's go ahead and uh, start them off with Julie. Julie, thank you for you know tuning in and writing us. Uh, you gave us, you know, an interesting story. Let's see what the audience thinks as we go through it. She writes us, audience, I love my father, but I'm sick of trying so hard with him. When we used to spend time together, he would ignore me when I spoke out, but would immediately respond if my husband said the same thing right after me. If he did act like he heard me, he'd just grunt or act disinterested in what I said. When I try to contact him, he doesn't answer my calls or texts, and I feel like I'm bothering him. If I don't contact him, he tells everyone I never call and that I keep my kids from seeing him. Lately, he has been spreading a rumor that I went to his garage and stole family items. His house has cameras and alarms and stays locked up. I also live hundreds of miles away. My dad refuses counseling and denies any responsibility for conflicts in his relationships. I'm tired of the emotional roller coasters. My mom, who divorced him decades ago, wants me to keep trying because she cherished her relationship with her own now deceased father so much. Do I honor my mother and keep trying or should I put my foot down and let my mother know I refuse to be abused any longer? Mm. what you think, Press? Well, first of all, your mother didn't even honor the vows that she took, so how's she going to sit up here and tell you what you should do? <laughs> so, first of all, I mean, Jay, she, <laughs> I'll knock that one off right off the bat. <laughs> This man is disrespectful as fuck. That's why the mom got out. <laughs> Decades ago, she got out. So, of course, she got this energy. She got free, and she over here telling you keep taking the abuse that she didn't want to take any longer. Man, get out of here with that. Julie, when you wrote this letter to us, you knew what we was going to tell you. Your pops, don't, he don't respect you. First and foremost, you sit over here trying to talk to this man, and he ignore you, but then your husband say the same damn thing, and he going to respond to him, but he grunts at you. I know that type of energy, Jay. You know that type of energy. That's somebody that don't fuck with you. Point blank. I don't know what happened to you all's relationship that brought this relationship to this type of point, but it's sad to hear that, man. You know, I think about a relationship that a man should have with his children, not just a man's relationship with his daughter, but a man's relationship with his children is supposed to be something that matters. He's supposed to be the head of his damn family. And yet now he will push all the people away. The wife's gone. Your mom's gone. Now he's pushing you away. I hope you don't have any siblings and he'll push them away too. 
So obviously something's up with him. As you're saying that, you know, he needs to go to therapy and all that kind of stuff. People need to want to go to therapy. I hear that all the time. People tell somebody, oh, you should go to therapy. Nobody's going to get help unless they think that they have a problem. I know so many cats, man, that have issues with gambling. They dabble into drugs and stuff like that. But if they normalize the behavior and they don't see anything wrong with it, then they're never going to change that behavior. And according to your pops, he don't think nothing wrong with him. And then he going to sit here and accuse you of stealing shit? Come on now. That's the number one thing people do in families to start dramas and, and keep shit going. That shit's wild. Jay, this was going to make me mad, so I'm going to stop before I say too much more. But Julie, protect your energy. I don't want you to disrespect your mother, but your mother giving you bad advice. She do give you advice that she wouldn't even follow her damn self. Come on, man. You know what, Prince? I think you handled it all right there. I don't even have too much more to say except for, um, you know, literally, it, if you put other people's approval or you, because you said a few things, like he tells people that I keep my kids from seeing him. And, you know, he told people that I still... But you know the truth, Julie. And at the end of the day, it would be sacrificial to choose other people's happiness over your own. So, you know, do what you got to do with that. But as Prez said, you knew what you was going to get when you wrote in. Next, we're going to go over to Benny. Benny wrote us, my lady and I have been married for four years, together for six. We have three kids together. Over the last year, she's changed a lot. And she's treated me and my kids very badly. She's always frustrated with us, distant, and constantly accuses me of not caring about her and things of that nature. She puts me down by saying I think I'm a good person, but I'm not. I started to wonder if she was cheating on me, but it turns out she became involved in heavy drugs. Jesus. I come from a family of addicts, including my mom, that had a substance abuse issue for over a decade. My wife had a great job, which she quit after he after she refused a random drug screen. I'm so upset and hurt by her lies and what her drug abuse has done to our family. She has been moved out for a little over a month now. It hasn't even checked on our kids. Do you think this is grounds for a divorce, or should I try to help her through this addiction? Hey Jay, hit this one first, bro. There's so many things here, Benny. The one thing that I really see is the change in behavior from when she had a job to when she didn't. It sounds like she's been using drugs and mm -hmm. you just didn't know. And like there, there we we live amongst functioning addicts of all natures every single day. So right. you wouldn't know that with a lot of people, but when there is a change of, you know, the things that allow you to match that behavior or the things that keep you from dabbling too heavily in it. You know, the, the nine to five will keep, you know, a certain structure in people's lives and that'll help them to kind of, you know, mitigate their needs. But um, it doesn't sound like it's anything new. And I don't know anything about how you were brought up or what happened with your mother, but I would ask you if you would want the same for your kids and whatever that answer is to you, you know, um, I think you, you would have the answer to the question on what you should or shouldn't do. But uh, this sounds like the, the makings of diary of a mad black woman. And Damn. I don't, you know, I don't wish that on anybody.
Nah, Jay, this one, this one, like, that's why I was like, let you go first, because I needed to kind of still wrap my head around this whole thing, because, um, bruh, it's awful, man, that the kids are being involved with this type of stuff, Jay. That's the thing. Like, it's one thing, okay, you and you and your wife are struggling with this whole situation, but you guys can figure it out together, because you're both adults. You can, you know, compartmentalize, you know, the situation. But kids don't understand. They're like, damn, why my mom being mean to me? Why, why mom tripping? Why, where mom at, right? And now mom ain't even in the crib. Is she not even checking in on her kids? See, I'm going to tell you this much, audience. My opinion of women is basically designed and it comes from the women that, that raised me. And the women that raised me and were responsible for my development in this world, they never left their children. I don't give a fuck what they had going on in their lives. And so some women are going to drag me for this comment that I'm going to make, but I don't really give a shit. I don't see how any woman in their right mind can just lit up, just get up and just say, you know what? I'm good on this parenting thing. <laughs> I'm out. So I think that gives you your answer on where your wife's mindset is. And it seems like the drugs have a hold on her. So if it's important for you to have the mother of your children in your kid's life, then I think you need to act accordingly. If that's not important to you and you just want to kind of shield the kids away from her, then that's your decision as well. But I know if it were me, I think that it takes, you know, both parents to, to make sure that the kid is well-rounded, you know, and this is coming from someone that was raised by a single mom. And I think that it's important to have that balance when the other parent is right, of course, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough, man. That's a tough situation to be in. I I wish you the best, Benny. And I wish the best for your family, honestly. But just make sure you're keeping them first. For sure, for sure. So, so Jay, we we often have conversations, not even just on this show, but just offline about the disparities in, in, in sports, right? When it comes to men's versus women's sports, right? And so we see a lot of that taking place in college sports. When it comes to NIL, we know that the male programs, the male players, they're going to command more unless it's like your Caitlin Clarks or your Angel Reese's, which we'll get to in a and Michael Porter Jr., he went on a podcast recently, and he had some interesting takes on women's sports and when it came to equal ad revenue share and things of that nature. And he compared women's basketball players to being similar to that of ping pong players in their work. I feel like he was spinning it around and it was making it real cute. But in essence, nah. I heard women's basketball players and I heard ping pong players. So give me your, give me your two. What he said from what I heard was that as much of a master of their craft as WNBA players are, there are ping pong players that are just as masterful. And then he said basketball players. So he wasn't even saying that they are less masterful than NBA players, in my opinion. He was saying that when you're a master of your craft, you're a master of your craft at all levels. But there are certain demand for the craft that you have mastered based off of what that craft is. So that's that's where I I heard the ping pong reference in. Uh, How come he couldn't make that reference into his sport? He's he I'm, he said basketball players. He said that there are like ping pong ping pong uh, professional ping pong players master their craft just as much as basketball players. That's what he said. And then he went on to say, you know, WNBA players could be getting as much attention as. And we know that there's more attention coming to the NBA 
than the WNBA or professional ping pong players. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I don't think that he ISOed them out. And it was I, kind of, I didn't even I didn't even know that there were professional ping pong players, Joe. Yeah, yeah, you know they it's an Olympic sport. They uh I'm sure they got their tournaments and their rounds and shit. The way pickleball is picking up, professional ping pong gotta be a thing because that, that's all pickleball is is ping pong on a big stage. That shit gonna be in the Olympics, trust me, in the next four years. That they shit got, is crazy. They got it's really bad. I, I hoop at this park up north during the summer sometimes outside, and the pickleball players will be set up eight in the morning, have and, and going deep into the afternoon. White people in their sports, man. I swear, I love y'all though. <laughs> but yeah, not president. I don't, I don't think that he tried to clean it up, and I don't think that because in the same like, if you appreciate basketball, right? And I'm talking about not the NBA, but like the the just the purity of what the game of basketball is. When you look at like offensive sets, when you look at ball movement, when you look mm-hmm. at rotations, when you look at just overall uh, conduciveness to a team environment. Um, women's basketball is more of a developed skill set from a fundamental side at any level almost than men's basketball. It, it's it's the athleticism and the speed of the game that changes the two games so drastically. And athleticism is literally off the idea of our genetic builds. We are just built to do things at a stronger and faster pace, at a more pronounced physical pace than women. And so, you know, I don't, I mean, because the interview started with how he was, he was rocking the Brianna Stewart twos. I, I'm a fan that she has a shoe, you know what I'm hey, saying? Those, hey, those shoes ain't bad either, man. They're decent, right? I, doesn't yeah. Sabrina have a shoe too? Yeah, so, I, don't I like think kind of cold. I think hers kind of cold. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even. They be trying to elevate her a little bit too much for me. So that, that's just my own like hate audience. So don't don't listen to me. Her she shoes got, are nice too. She got a burner though. She got a burner and she is a dog. She's just, she might not be the dog that they need to dethrone that that locomotive that is the Las Vegas Aces. Man. Hey, but you know what? Hey, real quick, since you brought it up, now you start talking about this W talk. You know how I get about the dub. Now, Jay over here talking, he giving y'all some real good insight because those Aces, they are bad. But if you look around that W right now, you got teams that are gearing up for them. The Storm right now, they gearing up nasty, bro. I'm talking about Skyler just went out there to join Jewel Lloyd. And Nika just decided to come up there, but then now, yeah, for sure, for sure, for Phoenix, sure. Phoenix took fucking Kalia Copper from us, bro. Now they gearing up. Oh man, I, I blame D Wade. I don't even know how it's his fault, but I blame him. <laughs> Everybody blamed D Wade for everything. <laughs> that man painted his nails, and the world hates. I don't even know what the hell to even say about that anymore. But let me just say this about this whole situation here in Chicago. How did we, Jay, become such a poverty fucking sports town? It's ridiculous. I don't even understand what happened. Yeah, man. I um, I don't know, and I don't know if people were. I think I think it's a mixture of a few things. We haven't, you know, the the sky gave us a chip, but yep. The uh, outside of that, it, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, and. We, I don't know, man. We we just we still have old systems in place in a lot of our sports. Yeah, I you know, agree. and I I think that we haven't really jumped over to that next 
millennium damn near. <laughs> they still in the nineties. So we, you know, it sounds harsh, but you just gotta wait for the old to die and uh finally relinquish the shit that they can't let go. And then maybe we'll we'll see some new blood, some new life. I keep I don't even wanna we, we can go on about this all day, but it's new life, it's too much new life in Chicago too, man. I don't I'm I'm nervous about this offensive coordinator for the Bears and what he's looking for next year because I really don't don't want to lose that man just but uh that's a whole nother right. that's a whole nother yeah, we, a whole nother podcast we, I gotta tune in to the Bears podcast going already you know that's right if, yeah if they're not knowing about the Bears Centrals you know what I'm saying they <laughs> tune in but I was gonna say we can even elaborate on some of that you know a little bit later on in, in the uh, off season ourselves here on this show because like I said, Jay is well versed in all you know topics. So you know, listen, this is not going to be a show that we're going to be one dimensional about. But I wanted to touch on one little piece of detail for me in that interview that Michael Porter Jr. did. The reason why I kind of came away from it feeling some kind of way, even though he was wearing Brianna Stewart shoes, yeah, that was cool. You know, shout out to you on that. But I guess for me, Jay is when he like referred to them as females and like all that kind of stuff. It just kind of like his energy was kind of weird in the interview, right? And I'm like, also in that discussion. How can they have Kelsey Plum or Asia Wilson or somebody from the W up there? I thought that would have been good, man. Give them a little representation. And if you're going to have these type of shows where you're going to have somebody talking about the W, bring one of the premier players up there. Let it have be a little bit of dialogue. Because I thought a lot of times with those type of shows, Jay, that they have on right now, it's all about having a panel discussion about something. How are you going to have a discussion about women's sports and you ain't got a woman up there talking about That's so, my thing. I only saw a clip of the interview. I didn't really get to see any interview outside of any part of the interview outside of the discussion topic. Where was the interview centered around women's sports, or like did it just? That was like one of the segments. Okay. I mean, yeah, could yeah, you could have thrown one of them up there. Uh-uh. I don't mean <laughs> you said calling them females. I mean, what what are they, Prez? Are if they're not females? What are they? Well, they're women. Man. I mean, because what, what do they call the uh, dudes in the NBA? Men, male, I I feel like male is a term that's used to describe men. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I've, ne- I've never understood the. I would just say, man, nine times out of 10, women don't like that type of thing. And I'm just learning, man, because I used to do wrong. I used to call them all kind of shit, you know, so, <laughs> so I'm trying to be better. But I know that they didn't like that type of th- conversation. Also, this man talked about they should lower the rims. And that's the same stupid shit Shaq was talking about. Is it Parker had to get after? I is think it so, man? Is it I stupid so. press? Yeah, because okay, was you just talking a second ago about the how beautiful the game is when you got the weeds, you got the actions, the back cuts, all the things that make the game what the game is. Mm-hmm. You when I watch the WNBA, it's a natural game. It's the same game, the same plays and systems I see running in the NBA. I see them doing. Now you talk about lowering the rim. I don't need to see all the dunks and all that shit. That don't that don't change the game for me. But I think some people, they feel like the game will be more exciting. It's not just – I think it, it, the excitement is generated around bringing more revenue. I think you're drawing more eyeballs to a screen and able to use more ad dollars if you seeing women go body to body at the rim and punching that shit. I just – I don't necessarily – I don't know if their defense points are coming from – keeping the period of the game or getting the women paid because the women seem to be complaining more so about getting paid, not the rules. Cause as much as I do appreciate the sport, 
I also do get very frustrated at the amount of missed layups I see in a WNBA game. And that's the highest level. They're they're missed layups at point blank range. And I'm not saying it as if they're less skilled or, you know, I'm, they, they still bust my ass, but they are professionals. And a smoked lay that hits off of like just glass is kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Yeah, they do miss a lot of shit. So did Illinois, man. I don't know if you saw that game that they had against <laughs> Indiana. My God, they went like five for like 30 inside the paint. But, you know, but I get your point. It is a lot of missed layups in the lane. But I think the bigger thing for me is when Michael Porter Jr. was having that type of conversation, maybe he didn't know that they were going to ask him about that, right? And I think that the general thing is we should always be prepared when we go on these shows, right? Hey, are you guys going to ask me about anything specific, right? Work with your agent. Don't get blindsided because then that's how you go viral for the wrong reasons. Because when you go on a show like that, now everybody looking at you and they picking apart your quotes. Now you got prayers over here calling, yeah. One of the things he was talking about originally in that interview was cancel culture, though, and how he can't do things based off the idea of being canceled because you can get canceled for anything. So I think once you're going through it with a mentality like that, you really probably don't give a fuck what any manager, agent has to really say. Like, especially if you if you really feel as if, because like at the, at the ground level, Michael Porter Jr., He's going to WNBA games. Michael Porter Jr., you know, he is giving free because him wearing the Brianna Stewart tools, I'm sure, sold at least a few pair of them. You know what I'm saying? So he's giving oh, free sure. as as sponsorship. It's not as if he's not genuinely supporting. He's just not quote unquote saying the right things. And from just his demeanor on the the earlier part of the interview that like kind of led into him talking about it, it sounds like he's getting uh or growing further and further away of really caring about what the, the general public would necessarily have an opinion on. So this is my thing when it comes to that whole cancel culture shit. I don't fuck with that. And Jules and I, we talked about that in the past here. But I think we should all be accountable for our actions, right? I know, Jay, you know how our family rocked when it came to that. We were held accountable. And so for me, I feel like there's a responsibility you have when you get in front of a microphone, when you get in front of a TV camera, right? So for me, I just feel like we should educate ourselves. And I just feel like he wasn't educated enough on that topic when he got in there. But to your point, I do think that him showing up there and wearing those shoes, I think that mattered for Brianna. But I still think, though, it sets the game back when you get a, a male counterpart that's kind of making, like, to my, in my opinion, some weird remarks. Because what I feel like he should have did up there is he should have talked about the discrepancies and how these the percentages are, how some of these players are even treated within their organizations, how you have franchise players like a Candace Parker when she was here in Chicago, and she wasn't treated or highlighted like a franchise player, Jay. Yeah. But everything is a money train in my mind, Brez. And like I think that's probably where a lot of the the discrepancy does come from in just these masterful craftswomen doing things at the highest level that they can do and still not being seen. And really, because the only other gauge of equitability is the NBA. Right. They're not doing what the NBA is doing money-wise. It's not about basketball. It's about money. At the end of the day. But hey, man, we'll see. I, uh, the women's game is growing tremendously, and there's a lot of young talent coming up that I'm super excited about. Um, I think that there's a lot of young talent in the WNBA right now that's going to develop into being the 
Sue Burge, Diana Taurasi's that we got to see for 15, 20 years. You know what I'm saying? And I do think that the situation that happened with Brittany Garner will continue to push why women, specifically the WNBA, need to make more money just to have a I can't say sustainable because it's not like they're not making sustainable, but more of a highlight of being a master at their crafts for um, the work they put in so that they don't have to travel overseas during the off season to still play just to bring home more bread. Um, true, true that. Yeah. Cause I mean, if that Brittany Griner situation didn't show us anything, that further showed you the fact that she's one of the, the marquee names in the league and she had to go over there and supplement income. Right. And, you know, in a couple NBA. ways, not just hooping. She was out there really right. supplementing income. Like, oh man. But <laughs> <Yo, yes. laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it, man. The NBA players, we over here employing Tony Snell to go over there to Europe to get the bag. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just different, man. When the when the people talk about lowering the rim, and some people say, you know, like I was saying, how I felt like that may kind of take away from the game. One important factor to remember about the WNBA is they do play with a smaller ball. So Lowering the rim may not be the worst idea. I think it just makes people feel some kind of way. It, it's um, like I said, and that's about more of the people that feel that way, in my opinion, are saying women can do what men can do. But the literal physics and the physicality of it is you would be lowering the rim to give it more of an idea that women are doing what men are doing. It's not, it might not be socially, politically correct in you know, verbiage, but that's the that's the reality of the situation. We're going to shift gears, audience, and we're going to get into the Grammys. And I, I have to be honest with y'all, audience, I don't really mess with them award shows too much, man. I kind of got jaded on those when I was a shorty, but I happened to be at a restaurant on Sunday, and they had the Grammys on, and just perfect timing, Jay, perfect storm. I see my man Hove get that Dr. Dre award. I'm like, why Hove seems so damn nervous? And then he started dropping them damn ether bombs on folks. And I'm like, oh, that's why he was nervous, Jay. Yeah, he had a lot to say, man. I think that, you know, he said things that like, for sure needed to be said. I can't throw the cape on him the way I've, I've seen a lot of people doing on social media as if he just made a superhero move or anything like that. Because as much as, you know what I can't stand with where we're at in the world right now, Prez, is... When folks critique the thing as they do the thing that they're critiquing. So like I see where you are. Yeah. When he, when he brought up that whole um the Will Smith thing where he was talking about how Prince and Jazzy Jeff, they boycotted it, but watched it in the hotel room, wasn't much of a boycott, and then made fun of himself again, you know, doing the same thing and how that wasn't much of a boycott. And then as he stood on stage and Talk trash about the Grammys as he accepted award from the Grammys. It was like, oh, that Jay over here. Uh, uh-uh, hold on, now you you going too fast for him. This man over here just gave y'all three of y'all to hear what he had to say. Yeah. Mercy, mercy. Because yeah. listen, that Jazzy Jeff one didn't that one that wasn't no slow burn when he said that one to me. I'm like, I see what you're doing there, but you've done the same thing twice. The Grammys and the Super Bowl. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, Prez. Because, like, we talk about New York, you know what I'm saying, and Brooklyn. 
And I'm a the fucked up part about what I'm saying right now, I'm a Jay-Z fan. So I'm not even saying this from the perspective of your brother, our cousin, or my cousin, who is a Jay-Z hater. I I actually like Hove and you know, I like him as a musician. I don't like how we as the black community have kind of, you know, made him this type of pillar of role model or uh, you know, something to look up to as he's done, he's done nothing for us as, as a whole. But like, I wasn't, yeah, Prez, I wasn't, I wasn't moved. Oh, I, I was saying, as we talked about Brooklyn and the library that he has in Brooklyn, I, I get kind of sick to my stomach when I think about that. Going back to what I was saying about what he hasn't really done for our communities, but to then get us back on track to talking about the Grammys, I was not very, I was not moved by what he said because he brought up the same point that my man Ye brought up Mm. 13 years ago 13 years ago yeah you know no disrespect Taylor but (laughs) Beyonce been doing this still doing this and who knows when she gonna stop doing this and y'all continue to play in her face so yeah and and I had nothing wrong with what Jay said but to your point I'm like we heard this already it was just done differently and from a and, and a lot more blatant a lot more disrespectful you know what i'm saying he, this was this was still cute this was still you feel me that he he looked nervous because he was nervous he he didn't he knew he had to say it but he ain't want to ruffle no feathers and then that's uh, that and that's just not and i'm not gonna lie to you press that's not the energy he has toward niggas niggas talk about canceling jay-z doing all these things you know what i'm saying jay-z's never tucking his tail toward us but the academy they get the the wicked locked version of Jay. Man, there's so much. There's so much to unpack with that, man. I, I don't. I I don't um think Beyonce has ever gotten her just due or respect. She never has. No, you know. And listen, your first show, you came on here and you talked about the fact that Taylor came out here and re-released the whole album of a previous. What was what you said? Another album that she had. Yeah. And, and she's selling out concerts. At Beyonce same, had Renaissance songs. At the same pace as Beyonce. Beyonce gave us a visual, you know what I'm saying? I didn't get to go to, I know you went to the show, man. And you was yeah. telling like, that was a real show. And like, she then put it on video for those that couldn't see it to get a glimpse of it. And she's doing, you know, she's doing very cosmic. Like I, I in my in my lifetime, having seen an artist do the things that I've heard Beyonce's done at shows, like it's, I'm not going to say it's the same as Michael, but that is how I hear older generations describe the Michael Jackson effect. And she, she's not, she's not ever going to get the respect from the Academy. So I don't know why they're even there still supporting and, you know, continue. Continue the boycott. That's yeah. that's my whole thing. Don't show up. See, that's the problem with Black people. One of our problems. Back in the day when our grandma and that generation, they stood on business, man. We don't. They shut down buses. They shut down restaurants. They shut down stores. We too damn weak because we lazy. We be like, oh, well, this place is close to my house. So, you know what? Y'all gonna have to miss me with this boycott shit. See, we think shit funny out here. Not My whole thing is a cat like Jay-Z, 
when Colin Kaepernick was doing his deal, Jay-Z was the one that shot him in the foot with that whole thing. Now, somebody will sit here and tell me, well, Colin Kaepernick sold out because he took a settlement. They ruined the man's career. What you want him to do? Don't get me started on Jay and Dane, man. Like, I know Dane is a head case, but for... He is a head case, but you know what, though? The problem with that is Dane talked too much. That's, See, Dane be spitting facts, but the problem is, it's like after a while, man, people stop listening. But I say that to say, like, Jay completely not only ripped down Rockefeller, he also helped to steam 300 Entertainment, which ends up being ran by Lior Cone and by... Um, What's dude's name? The dude from Baltimore, Kevin Lyles. And that is where the the 360 deal is popularized, which does enslave so many artists. You know what I'm like? The things that Jay did weren't just one stranded in his selfishness. They were a domino effect that affected generations of artists and mostly his people. So I, you know, it's tough. Bro. It's with really any type of Jay-Z. And, and then and then he comes and slaps us in the face with the album like 444 where he talks about, yeah, if you really want to do something, go buy some art. Nigga, you were just telling us for years to go buy champagne and cars and clothes and jewelry. What the fuck you think niggas that's got the type of money necessary to buy art have been putting it to save to go and buy some art? Boy, fuck you. Like, nah, I'm... Uh, Ooh, Jay has some shit to say. I rocked with the album, but people said, hey, Perez, this is the sophisticated Jay-Z. I said, no, this is that motherfucking Jay-Z that got some money now, and he got with a different crowd of people now, and now he's talking down to us. Wait, because this- to your point, money ain't a thing. You all, y'all remember that? That was Jay-Z at, his, at, at the epitome of him. Blowing money just like everybody else was back then. Flossed, literally flossed that shit. Flossed it. Now you're different. Now you tell me, oh, you know, I don't wear no brands. I don't do this. I don't do that. We just buy art. <laughs> we got billionaires all in our crib. <laughs> he, he, he's changed it up. But what, what, I, what I want to talk about with this Grammy situation real quick, Jay, because I appreciate everywhere you went there because you're not putting this man on, 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 the, pedestal, on the pedestal. You hold him accountable, and I, and I respect that. I think one of the things that got lost with his whole commentary, though, is why everybody's talking about Beyonce and her not getting her flowers that she's old, which I agree with. My biggest issue with the Grammys has always came down to how they categorize music. And Mm -hmm. the way that they categorize music is the same outdated way that people used to categorize albums and record stores. Well, guess what? We don't have record stores anymore. So y'all need to throw that whole shit out the window. Because what it comes down to is our groups are being watered down to having to be winning awards talking about top urban artists. Everything's rap. Everything's R&B. It's levels to this. We have surpassed being labeled in two different lanes. And that's my problem with this shit. And that's why people get snubbed. Because it's the way they categorize shit. No, that's real. That's super real, press. And that that it's an it's an invisible barrier. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's not on accident. But no. even just the idea of pop music in general and what is or what isn't pop. Yeah, that's a great point. Remember Tyler the Creator won the Grammy? Yeah. Best rap album. 
Yeah, they, they're never getting best rap album, right? Um, even uh, do you listen to Killer Mike? I do. Did you like his album? It was all right. Oh, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Um, Killer Mike, all right. Killer Mike is he 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 does the baby Jay Z thing to me. He because if you really peep it, like you, you see Killer Mike in so much more, you know, pop culture things, and it's always oh, you know. This is a spot where I was selling drugs and I should have lost my life. Like, all right, man, all right. So you, the, that, be my, that, that, that representation is going to be synonymous to like, for what the, that is to like, that generation, y'all generation is going to be synonymous to like what the scammer culture is to my generation. Like, I'm not saying that he didn't, you know, make it out or what, but like you, I, I hope by now you are so much more than, that past story of yourself that that's not what we always have to hear when it comes to you. And I know he he's super involved with the whole Greenwood Bank, which is supposed to be like a revitalization of the Greenwood Bank that was in Black Wall Street. But like Correct. the Greenwood Bank is really, you know, they they, they get their capital funding. I, I'm pretty sure through J.P. Morgan, like it, it, man, there's a lot of smoky mirrors out here, bro. And I think I the, to, so. I want us to touch on that because Jules and I, we talked about Killer Mike and his impact like two years ago on the show. But yeah. the more I've learned about that bank, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of the details of it. I think we need to do a future show on that because, to your point, the same people who are trying to ex exclude from Redline of us in this situation, they're the people that are ahead of his bank. Man, that's how it always ends up. Unfortunately. But that's why with my platform and in, in the platform that I'm on with Chicago State of Mind, Sports Illustrated, I'm just going to tell a, a story here. I'm going to use names. Sports Illustrated reached out to us a year and a half ago, wanted us to park, offered me a six-digit six sum. Most people would have looked at that number, would have jumped at it. Me, I'm like, well, shit, if that's what you value what I'm doing at, then it must be worth way more. Now I'm good, right? Most people tell me I'm sick. you crazy. But see, the problem is that we don't value ourselves. And... <laughs> I prefer being my own boss until I don't have to be my own boss. And I'm not going to sell out for no six-figure no six deal. And now, anybody that follows the news, you saw what happened to Sports Illustrated. All those brands, they came gobbling up because they were trying to cannibalize the industry. What happened? Sports Illustrated let go of all these people. All these people that got these deals, now they're out of work. All that hard work they have is, is done and gone with. So every deal ain't a good deal. Bet on yourself. Yeah, if you really believe in what you're doing. Because everything not worth her knowing to neither. You know what I'm saying? Some people, I think the thing that we, where we're at climate-wise in business is people are looking for the, the buyout the quickest to go on and do the next whatever. And so it's like, it's really just about knowing what you what your end goal is. But if it's something that you genuinely care about, you really do stand more to gain from just, you know, sticking to it yourself. Even if it's not paying you know the dividends that you think it should or will one day you know just you gotta continue to have faith oh you got to man because we see too many people man with these ideas zuckerberg he had an idea and at the time nobody knew what the fuck it was <laughs> and now all our parents and, and grandparents are all on this damn platform now sorry to be taking shots at y'all but i don't use facebook but yeah, that's how i know like no. as soon as the old regard came in it was like yes yeah, time to go Hey, hey, Jay, you remember when I got up off of there? Bro, I got on Facebook like 15 years ago. I saw I saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> really?
And shit, you know what? The next one might be Twitter because I'm just like, man, I, I'm, I'm not liking that shit. That shit is a cesspool, too. Man. I'm like, I'm, I'm sick of all this social media stuff. Yeah, Twitter's nasty, man. You can't just nasty say. work. Nasty work. But anyway, we're getting close to the end of the show, but I wanted to segue in by talking to you about the We Are the World documentary that was on Netflix. This one made me happy, man, because anybody that knows me, anybody that's listened to this show from day one, you know I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. And this documentary, Jay, it gave us some really cool insights into just like how they brought all these folks together because I had no idea. I had no idea, man, that these people all pulled up in the studio after the war show. I know that they stayed up all night, bro. I was, that awesome. song. That was, it was super cool to see. I was really, I really appreciated giving that, that kind of firsthand view, like viewpoint into what they had to do to make the record and, you know, bringing all those different stars and characters together. It broke my heart to see, um, oh, what's her name, Perez? The one from, that was with Prince, who was... She leave. She's so damn fine, Perez. Bro, to this still day. Fine. Still to fine. To this day. Deontay to this Wilder. day. To this day. <laughs> Uh, but to, it was. I was kind of funny to see how they tried to leverage her to get Prince to come, and then she felt that was were, nasty, wasn't it? Nah, nah. But you heard what Prince said. Prince said, first of all, I didn't write it, and he said, I think the song is dumb. I'm not coming." Yeah, they tried to beg him too, didn't they? They were man. People don't talk about the real star power Prince had. That's my mom's favorite artist, so I know the impact. I remember that. Uh huh. How come Whitney wasn't there? What year was it? 84? 80, 85? Somewhere around there, 84, 85. When did Whitney really hit the scene? I'm not hip. Like, I think I that was right. That was right. Her, that was right when her when her star was aligned. Mm. She probably wasn't big enough. Not yet. That's crazy. But they did have some star power in that room, though. No, they did. For sure. I mean, Madonna didn't make the cut. No, because they chose Sydney Lauper over her. Yeah, so it was like. Yeah, she, her chops probably wasn't, and, and and they had Diana Ross. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, so we are the world was in '85, and I gotta say that Whitney Houston had to be a star by then. Let's see, when did when was her debut album? That debut album was '85. So yeah, you know, she wasn't really on the scene on the scene yet, because that was probably early '85. That was I, I think they were talking about like February, March. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so maybe she was just starting to hit the scene. Her her album literally released Valentine's Day '85. See, yeah, okay, now nah, that makes sense. I just wondered about that because they didn't touch on that part in in the documentary. But to your point, they had Diana Ross, your boy Lionel Richie. Man, he was up there holding it down for the light skin bros. I, I was telling a couple of my buddies in the group chat. I was like, listen, man, Lionel Richie helped y'all out back in the '80s. I'm like, that's why y'all stay relevant for so long. Is Lionel that it did it? Lionel Richie, Jerry curled ass. I didn't know he had album of the year. Yeah, but he was smooth, bro. He still is a little smooth. He is a he is the epitome of a light skin nigga. <laughs> a light skin nigga. That shit is sickening. But dude, he kept that whole thing together, bro. Because that thing could have went off the rig. Can you imagine today's time? You ain't gonna get all those people in room room like that. Could you imagine the egos? But he kept that thing from fucking like going off the tracks. You know. Yeah, you shout hey shout out to Harry Belafonte. Um, yes, sir. Damn. Yeah, literally, they don't he he Harry Belafonte was doing a lot to make sure that um stories that weren't usually heralded or you know just for the civil rights era, but this is after that. But even then, 
he was doing a lot for um making sure that black voices were were strong and prominent and um he was the real catalyst of making sure that the whole the whole thing came together. So that's the problem. We lose these recipes, man, because guys like that, he made that imprint, right? And that's why it was important to cast like Michael Jackson. It was important to cast like Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles to pull it up. Ray Charles had to step up and was like, hey, <laughs> what he said, Michael's talking. Listen to him. That's mm -hmm. that wisdom. That's that respect of the room. And this is the thing you got to look at a guy like Ray Charles. He deferred to Michael. Man. That's crazy, right? <laughs> That's crazy when you when you put it in the uh, perspective like that. But you just recognizing genius as well, and being humble enough to realize when the the next leg is up. I think that I think that's where it really where the recipe is being lost is that the younger generation is too arrogant to listen to mm. what the older generation has to pass down wisdom wise and the older generation hasn't provided enough leadership to make the younger generation feel comfortable in listening to mm. like if you look back at everything you were just talking about like I mean Lionel Richie was talking about it how you know coming up with uh who was it, the Commodores or whatever yep. he was. yeah the Commodores and Mike coming up with the Jackson 5 and stuff like they were literally in the Motown machine which was really just you waited your turn as you were groomed and, you know, you took in the different pointers, but stuff like that takes time and everything now is such instant gratification that you, it, it, there's not as much patience when it comes to, you know, letting things work themselves out. And as we were talking about earlier, the old regard, it, it, they're holding on for dear life, not trying to let things go to the next <laughs> generation up neither. So it's like, it's just a bad story. So when I looked at that We Are the World thing, I saw two different things that really like made me think, and I agree with one of the parts that you mentioned. You mentioned the young generation. I think there is a large ego there, but I do think the second part is that the older generation has not done a good job with sharing. I mean, if you look at the NBA right now, most of the time you get the old heads, and I know audience, I'm an old head now, but when you get the old heads talking about the league, a lot of times it come off, as, instead of it being criticism and guidance, a lot of times it just comes out as hate. Paul yeah exactly that's that's one of the prominent people right um sometimes mm. even sometimes even your boy Shaq but my point of saying that is maybe the younger cats would listen if they thought that people was actually actually rocking with them instead of looking at them and saying damn you had it you got it good because a lot of times I feel like the older generation mostly feels like they paved the way for the younger generation and the younger generation has it easy that's really where the disparity comes down but, and so when I look at this music situation in today's time, Jay, let's just be honest. We got all these hot artists right now. None of them will come together for something like this. Now, why would why why and why is it that that's something that we both know in our hearts would never come together? Because who's calling them together? It's really the it's the call out, and is who do you respect enough that would be calling out, asking that you would show up for? And I don't know. There might be. Well, Quincy's still around. I don't I don't know if people would do it for Quincy the same. I was, there are there are a couple of people that probably could still rile people together, honestly. I think there are a couple left. Uh Jay-Z right. one of them, honestly. Want to be around Jay-Z and uh, and Beyonce. Jay-Z and Beyonce, because you can't say one without the other. But I'll say also Dr. Dre. They may pull up for him. They might pull up for Dre. I thought it was uh 
funny hearing Jay give him that rock star comment, but you saw he instantly had to backtrack to um run DMC because like yeah. they are the originators, but Dre definitely has it has a foothold. And that's what I'm saying. You have as as a member of the younger generation, you have to really trust that people are moving with your best in, with your future best interest and not just trying to leverage or you know what I'm saying be their own big dog or whatever through you and I think that's where a lot of people currently in my age group feel like you know they they can't trust and because we're just in such a different time technologically where nobody has really seen any of this you know it, it it's not a it's not as simple as using the old rules to play a game that's being updated I'm not saying the game is new but it is an updated version I mean, the game is the game, right? But I think that to that point, I do think that the game has leveled up. I think that a lot of times the older generation doesn't um, necessarily get aligned with the changes to how things are done now, right? And so they're still <laughs> beating down walls and trying to kick down doors when there's an easier way, right? And so I think that that's – I think the biggest thing for me is when I look at the two generations is that we should just sit down and have a conversation and break bread because – there's some things that y'all cats are doing, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's a good idea. And then on the other hand, hey, there's still some of the old ways that still work, right? And so I think it's just a, a thing of bridging the gap, and I think that that can be said with a lot of things in the world, but I do think with the two generations, instead of looking at each other like, man, fuck them, or, or on the other side, they're like, man, they don't want to listen. They think they know everything, because that's really what they come down No, nah, it is. It for sure is. And, and everybody just being in their feelings. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody just, they think they know. They think they know. We got to come together. Because I'll tell you, man, even with the work that I do, man, I had to humble myself and like start to listen more because in the beginning, a lot of it kind of came off for me of, well, I'm here. Y'all need me. You know what I'm saying? And, and then it grew into the fact of, well, actually, I need these kids just as much as I feel that they might need me because this is also keeping me in check, right? And it's also making me realize the, the responsibility that I think that a lot of us in my generation should probably feel for the new generation of things. So I'm like, shit, I, I had to check myself, Jay. I'm like, no, it ain't just about me, man. I'm like, shit, these, these kids, I, <laughs> being around them, I'm getting way more out of this than they probably get it from me. And I think that, um, I think that was something that it, it took me a minute to even get to. So I think we all can kind of humble ourselves and, and check our egos at the door. That was just greatness all the way around. It wasn't just about black artists. It was artists, right? And it's just all the way around. You see people helping people that were struggling. <laughs> Stevie Wonder up there helping out your boy Bob Dylan. There was no ego in that, right? Nowadays, you know, I'm sure if somebody fuck up, it's going to end up on Instagram because one of the guys in the room will probably record and post it shit, and, and, and clown one of the other people in the room. And it's just... It's just different, man. <laughs> Dallas is different. I just feel like everybody would know about it. Nobody would be able to keep that shit to themselves. They're going to sell it to TMZ first, get a little bag off it, and then TMZ. <laughs> uh-huh. Come on. <laughs> and as Jay mentioned earlier in the show, audience, we're going to delve into the whole old saying, if I knew then what I know now. Because that's something, Jay, that I've been hearing since I came up. I've caught myself saying it. And now in my circles, I'm hearing people saying that more and more and more. So, Jay, when you hear that, does that saying, does it resonate with you? Or do you feel like that's just a wishful saying that people just throw out there? I think it's both. I resonate with it. And it's definitely wishful. Um, 
living in kind of the past uh, revisionist history mindset. But um, who who can't feel like that, man? Specifically for me, uh, shit, I watched. I literally watched the prominence of Bitcoin from like nobody really knowing what it was. And I'm talking about like the, it was mentioned. I, rem I, I first remember hearing about Bitcoin in like 2013, 2014, right before I graduated high school. And it was in this movie called Dope. And they were really, uh, it was kind of a reference to the Silk Road. And audience, for those of you that don't know, the Silk Road was like, the the first real like utilization stop for bitcoin on like a service side where people were sending and receiving bitcoin and it was usually for like you know real illegal shit like drugs or guns all types of stuff yeah but it was a it was a website on the dark web even just me describing it like that you know what i'm saying it was being branded as something that was associated to a uh a neck that had a negative connotation to it um and to just see the overall just prominence in its rise over the last you know decade shit i definitely wish i knew then what i knew now about the 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 capabilities and the potential for where you know just blockchain technology overall could go i wish i knew that covid was going to hit and pivot the world you know what i'm saying that I wish I knew then that I knew now. And if I would have, uh, you know, taken different steps, they it would have, things would have turned out differently. I'm also a firm believer in nothing happens on accident. Everything happens for a reason. And um, I think I said that earlier on the pod that, you know, things happen the way they were supposed to. I don't, I don't live in the whole, you know, it should have been me or it should have did this and no, no, no. Everything mm -hmm. happens the way it's supposed to, but, there are there there's so much knowledge and information that I wish I had uh as a younger version of myself and shit I'm only 28 right now so I can only imagine what I'm gonna feel like 10 years from now God willing 10 years from then you know continue to go on but I'm, I think it'll always be that way so I mean I, I really love what you shared there I mean and, and it's it's really cool to just hear that type of insight from somebody that's 28 years old, because I promise you this audience, I wasn't thinking like that at 28. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking there, but it wasn't like that. But I would say, honestly, um, when I hear that type of phrase, Jay, I do agree with you. I just think it's a way that people just try to rationalize and validate things that they're feeling and how they're living their lives in current times in the context of past experiences. Right. But I'm one of those type of people that while I've had a lot of adversity in my past, bro, I don't, man, I, I don't regret any of that shit, man, because it's made me the person that I am today. And I'm proud of that person. I can look at myself in the mirror, man, and be okay with that person that I see today. Right. So when I, when that saying comes up to me, I look at it differently. I don't have any regrets. And I can honestly say that because any decision that I've made, whether it was a good or a bad one, I stand in it. And I think that's the type of energy that I think more people should have. I think a lot of times, Jay, people, when they make a bad uh, choice, they have bad experiences and outcomes, they're looking to be the victim or they're looking to blame somebody else. I'm not looking to be anybody's victim because I'm not anybody's victim. And guess what? Every hand that you're dealt in life isn't going to be a perfect 20. It ain't going to be a blackjack hand. Listen, I hit 12 <laughs> many times in my life, right? 
Sometimes I bust it out. Sometimes I got that nine card in the hole. And for my blackjack players, you know what I'm talking about. Not so sure. that saying to me, though, is just it's a little bit different because I kind of just feel like, Jay, that while I do feel like I'm armed with a lot of information now, who knows if when I was 24 or 25 years old, if I was armed with that information, if I would have done, even done anything with it. See, a lot of times, man, you're not ready for the information that you are, are exposed to. Some people are. Some people aren't. And for me, a lot of my knowledge was just, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I just figured out a lot of shit, bro. But I can tell you one thing, man. The information that I have now, I'm thankful for it. And I'm putting it into work now. And you know, it doesn't matter how late I put this shit into work. So many people get stuck, Jay, on the fact of, oh, my God, man, I'm 40-something years old and I don't have any properties. And, and my friends got properties here and there and this and that. And I'm like, you count other people's money. You run your own race. You still got a lot of fucking time. While you sit over here worried about what this person has that in comparison to you, you can still be doing something. You can still be changing your situation. As long as you got to add bat, you still got something. Bruh, bruh, shit. I don't care if you 0 for 4 and you go up in that tiffin. Come on, man, you still got a chance. This mentality. I always feel like the bases are loaded, even when they're not. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, and that, that's, just, that's that's a hitter's mentality, though. You know what I'm saying? Because realistically, you do all it takes is one. All it takes is one hit, and Bruh. everything can change. But you got to keep Bruh. swinging. Got to keep swinging. Because one of these days, they're going to try to throw that fastball in front of me, and they're going to fucking play me, and I'm going to fucking knock that bitch out the park. Mm -hmm. That's all. For sure. See, li life has been a series of curveballs, but I love that. I love that shit. I learned how to hit a curve, Jay. Uh, I learned how to beat that shit into the ground. I'm good. Because you're going to learn from the curve more than you are to straight away fast. See? See? I swear this show free, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> this show is free. But um, I know a lot of it, man, Jay, is a lot of people, they like to critique their past, right? A lot of times people are ashamed of their past. A lot of times people will sit here and they'll say, oh, man. I could be here, but I'm not. And I'm like, man, fuck that type of mentality, bro. That's a loser's mentality. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. That's worse than the person that's going to tell you what they're going to do and they never do it. Yeah. How many, how many of y'all know people in your life that's telling you next year that this time they're going to do this and do that? Them are the most dangerous people, and I stay away from them. I don't want to hear what you're going to do. You know what, Jay? Just Did you it. ever hear me tell you what I was going to do with Chicago State of Mind? Did you ever hear me tell you what I was going to do with this and that? No. no. What you do is you have a vision board for the people that believe in this. I do. I have a vision board. I have a notebook. I put my ideas down and I go out to work on them. There's people that go here and they tell me, oh man, next year this time I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm sitting here like, you ain't gonna do shit. And I because I don't think that they can, it's because I know that they don't have the the the, the execution of that plan. They're not gonna sit here and prayer, they're not gonna prepare for it. There's a lot more that goes into something than just talking about it. No, for sure. Execution, man. It's where my word of the year. You gotta execute. I mean, that's 2024 for me, man. It's all about execution, you know. And I get so many people, Jay, to come to me like when 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 we made the announcement that Jules was leaving the show, literally thirty people 
all like, hey, you know, I, I've been on this podcast. I, I, I this and that. I'm like, hey, you know what? Thank you for your interest. I like, I already have a somebody already selected here for the for the for this show. But it goes to show you though, Jay, is that in this world, there's always people out here that want opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me, when I look at that, that in itself gets me even more fired up when we record this show, when I record other shows, knowing there's somebody waking up and they're ready to go get it. That fires me up. And it's probably the sickness in me because I like competition, but that type of shit gets me fucking fired up every morning. No, I understand that for sure. Because that's, I mean, that's what it, it is, competition. They want something off your plate. Yeah. From my time in, in the business world to even just now my time, you know, trying to break into this media space. Um, I just always believed, Jay, that, you know, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not learning. I made a ton of mistakes in my leadership career when I worked in sales, when I worked in corporate. But I learned from them. those things also made me today the person that is not willing to fold but I'm also not willing to compromise who I am as a person, my beliefs, and I'm not going to sell people out. I'm always be honest with people. I'm also treat people with respect, but integrity. But you learn those things along the way because when you see things in business that you don't like, maybe things that have happened to you negatively, how you were treated, and you say, you know what, if I'm in that opportunity, I'm never going to do that to somebody else. Or if you vowed that you would never do that to somebody else and some shit happened adversely and you fuck someone over at one point in life, well, you know what, you learn from that shit. Don't do it going forward. Because yeah, we really don't know until it's tested what the integrity looks like. Exactly. Exactly. I just think personal growth, man, is, is just where it's at. And for me, I mean, shh, come on, man, Jay, you've seen, you've seen me, the truth, the, 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 uh, let me say that again. You've seen me, the trials and the tribulations, but you can never measure a man by his mistakes. You can never measure a man by maybe not seeing things the right way every time, right? Because that doesn't make anybody, that doesn't define anybody. You know what I'm saying? When I'm when it's all said and done for me, and I get called to go wherever <laughs> the Lord decides <laughs> I, I go. <laughs> but I would like the the I would hope that people would, you know, remember, you know, the good things and, and the values that I tried to leave behind and not the couple missteps that I had, because we all have them. But I think that for me is that a lot of people try to act like they've never done wrong as opposed to just being able to own up to the, to the fucked up things that they've done in this world. And like that just, that comes down to what they're going to have to deal with when it's their turn to cross over. Mm-hmm. We all got that time. We all got that time. I would just like to encourage people. I don't tell people what you should do out here, but I would say instead of talking about what you could have done differently, I would just encourage you to constantly rethink everything you think you know and just kind of just do what feels right. I That's kind of how I move out here. And it, I mean, it's kind of helped. You know, uh, don't ever feel disappointed or have any regrets for where you are in your life because everybody is in a different place right now. I know people that are in their 40s that are filing bankruptcy. Okay. My silver line is I told the person that came to me and said, this is what I'm doing. This I'm like, okay, in five to seven years, you got a clean slate. Now, what are you going to do in these five to seven years to reposition yourself so that way you're not being put back in this situation 10 years later? You got to take advantage of the opportunity, right? It ain't just about cleaning the slate. And bankruptcy don't define you. 
Shit, Donald Trump have been filed bankruptcy four or five times, and the man still got money. That's just a clerical thing. But see, people in our generation, they don't understand that. In their mind, they're thinking, oh, man, you filed bankruptcy. You you this and you that. Rich people do it every day. Not literally. It's, resh it's reshuffling the decks. And that's what I told this person. But honestly, at the end of the day, man, if you're not getting excited every day about the possibilities for today and tomorrow, all this that's where the real regret comes in. Because the All most right. important thing you just said there is just do, just go do it. Even if you feel like you should have done it, if you if it's really that heavy on your heart, just go do it now. And if it's really something you were supposed to do, it it'll never be too late. Going to hit him with that curtain call, bro. This curtain call goes out to Chicago legendary Marshall teacher and coach Dorothy Gators of Maywood. She is the education hero. Gators agreed to be the first girls basketball coach in 1972. And 45 years later, she is the winningest high school basketball coach in Illinois history. But beyond winning games, she's built an empowering, education-focused culture during her tenure as the Marshall High School girls coach. Dorothy became the first ever girls basketball coach at the school and led her team to more than 1,100 victories and 10 state championships. Behind the success on the court was a successful mentality off the court. Dorothy made sure education came first for her players and is proud to say a majority of her students went on to go to college and graduate. She's a firm believer in creating structure and goals to help steer young people in the right direction and prepare them for life. Dorothy enjoys interacting with her former players and continues to encourage and mentor them and provide a positive example with the way she lives her life. Shout out to you, Dorothy. We really don't have many, you know, tenured coaches that can say that they've seen almost, you know, a half a century of culture change over the game, over people, over our community. So I'm sure you have a lot of insight that you continue to pass on to people. And we really, really appreciate everything you do for our community. Yes, sir, man. Hey, great, great curtain call. Audience, as always, we appreciate your continued support of the show. And man, we've been really rocking with the comments and the feedback on the, on the show. And I know that Jay appreciates it as well. So as we always say on the show, without you guys, we wouldn't be. We're the Pull It Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening.